0: You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported.
1: Hey, Greg, I have a movie pitch for you. Oh, shoot. I want to do like a loose adaptation of some of the works of Isaac Asimov.
2: Oh, cool. So it'd be like a contemplative look at the possibilities of artificial intelligence? No, no, no. I said loosely. Will Smith
1: is just going to smash a bunch of robots.
2: Uh, I have some notes.
1: Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast where we obey three strict rules. Rule number one, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick.
0: Rule number two, I'm your host, Scott C. Bourgeois.
1: I'm your third rule, Greg Beaver. And we are here today to talk about the film iRobot, and we are joined by a guest. Uh, It's my pleasure to uh, introduce a friend of the show and co-editor of the unofficial Hugo Book Club blog, which uh, was shortlisted for a Hugo Award for Best Fanzine. Please welcome Olav Rockney.
3: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: I should say, too, you and
2: your co-editor uh, uh, were awarded.
3: Uh, award. Yeah. The, the award is uh, for both. Yeah, you. Amanda and I were shortlisted.
2: Very cool. And welcome back. We haven't had you on since, I think it was Dark Phoenix, right?
3: Dark Phoenix, yes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm really glad you keep inviting me on to talk about such high-quality, thoughtful, uh, <laughs> nuanced pieces of cinema.
1: Yeah, we got a we got a bona fide X Men expert to talk about the stupidest X Men movie, and we got <laughs> you're a Hugo Award uh, nerd, as it were, fan, and uh, we got you to talk uh, Asimov, or at least what little, just like <laughs> you've, heard, you've seen those beams going around of of uh, like the sparkling water that tastes like oh, it's water that tastes like it was next to a lime. It's the idea <laughs> of strawberry. This is like. Isaac Asimov adjacent.
3: <laughs> so here's an interesting thing about this. Um Isaac Asimov didn't come up with the title iRobot. He stole that title from a previous short story by somebody named Iando Binder, which was which um was about robot uprising much like this movie. And <laughs> He actually didn't want to call his book iRobot, but the publisher sort of insisted on it. So there's a certain irony that this movie um, used that title.
1: Wild, well, yeah, and that's uh, this kind of nuggets you're here for because uh, that's gonna be a heck of a lot of interesting than in this <laughs> movie. But let's we'll have lots of time to dunk on this. Uh, what uh, what what have you all been watching lately? What's uh, what's on your on your uh... Well, Movie plate, cut that part out.
3: <laughs> Amanda and I just uh, watched a documentary uh, called The Sparks Brothers, which is about the band Sparks. And it's so good. I'm... And one thing that wasn't in that documentary uh, is the fact that Sparks recorded the theme song to a Jean Claude Van Damme movie called Knock Off. And I cannot recommend Knock Off. It is a terrible, <laughs> terrible, mediocre Jean Claude Van Damme paint by numbers action flick but the sparks theme song over the end credits is completely bizarre and it's so bizarre to have that as the theme song to a jean-claude van damme movie that it's actually just worth watching the end credits
1: (laughs) nice i'm I'm more excited to hear about that sparks movie because i love edgar Wright.
3: it's so good
2: it seems to me like we we often, after the show is over, we just kind of sit around and shoot the shit about movies for a little bit. And it seems to me that we had talked about the that Sparks documentary. I remember watching the trailer after. Uh, so I know that Liam was is jazzed for it. So that's, yeah. uh, that's pretty cool. I'm embarrassed. To, yeah, when that
1: trailer dropped, I'm a little embarrassed to say I, I'm not like a huge music nerd, but I have truly never heard of the Sparks. That when I was watching that trailer, I'm like, is Edgar Wright doing, like, a Spinal Tap thing? Like, how is there? How is this band this influential and famous and I've never heard of them? Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm just an idiot who doesn't know everything. I should
3: not <laughs> know. Well, it definitely expanded my knowledge of their career because I, I just had sort of this vague notion that this band existed. They'd recorded a couple of interesting songs I was aware of. But then it's like this... Forty-year like journey through just bizarre, crazy creativity. So nice, top-notch movie.
1: Fabulous. Yeah, I uh, uh, I recently watched uh, Train to Busan, which I also would recommend. Um, Super
2: that movie, good. I came out
1: yeah, I came out of that one just being mad. Bad movies exist because it's just so <laughs> technically tight and act like it's just good. There's just no. There's no, you know, fat on it. It's tightly edited. T- you know, setups are paid off. It's like a clinic. It's like a clinic on filmmaking that it makes me furious bad movies exist.
0: There, so. Yeah, there's something to be said about uh, the joy of watching a terrible movie and just kind of uh, kind of chewing on it and relishing it and dunking on it. Um, but there's also something to be said about seeing a movie that's so good that it makes you angry at other movies. <laughs> Where it's just like... Oh, and, so good sometimes that you're angry at that movie for being so good and you're just like, Oh, how can a movie this good exist?
1: Yeah, it's not even that it's so good, it's that it's just not bad.
2: Like there's no bad parts. There's no notes. It's just like a pretty good movie. Hey, I I feel a sense of relief often when when we when I watch a good movie because we watch so many mediocres that it's just like it's just like drifting off into like a you know a nice (laughs) (laughs) beautiful sleep or something like that you know (laughs) yeah trade to busan like you say it's like really tight but i i also quote recall that the um the pace is very good like it's just like quick there's not a lot of lulls or anything like that you're just you're just going from action beat to action beat and it's yeah it's it's just a, a lot of fun
1: yeah exactly what i'm referring to it just like it's it's not breakneck. The pace is good, the storytelling's good, the everything about it's just like cl- yeah. it's a clinic on how to make a tight movie. So. If
2: you if you haven't seen it, the log line on it is is uh, a zombie outbreak on a train.
0: Yeah, zombies on a train. Yeah.
3: It's a perfect movie like Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no fat. Hot take. very, very trimmed down perfectly paced doesn't waste your time get straight to the point
0: i feel like olaf has been sitting on that one since our justice League episode. <laughs> well i uh i went back and saw a classic film uh i've been i've been trying to catch up on a bunch of movies that i have really no excuse for having not seen before and uh this week i managed to knock uh network off my list um Wow, that is a very good film, and I have no excuse for having never seen it before. Um, If you have not seen Network, it is a very funny, deeply cynical movie, and uh, it is definitely worth your time, and I would recommend seeking it out. Uh, Basically, uh, it's uh, a movie about television, um, and the damage it does to people, and how exploitative it is, and also capitalism, and how damaging and exploitative it is to a certain extent. Um, again, deeply cynical movie, very funny, well worth your time.
3: Like Zack Snyder's Justice
2: League. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, they, I don't know if you find this, but sometimes when I, I watch one of those old classic movies, um, specific, especially when they've got like a scene like um network does that sort of lives outside the movie like
0: his the, his rant inside I'm, the tv studio i'm mad as hell like, and i'm not going to take it anymore yeah
2: exactly the <laughs> i almost find that i need to watch the movie several times because my anticipation for that moment almost draws me out of the context of the movie you know and like i'm not taking i'm not taking the movie in as a whole i'm like where's the thing that i know i want to know where the thing that i know is (laughs) i'm kind of waiting for it and it's sort of yeah i need to i'll have to pick up uh, network again because um, i think i've only seen it once and that was my sort of experience with it
1: that would make planet of the apes an exhausting watch (laughs)
2: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. yeah, just for just for third, you know, like uh, a ten seconds at the end. The no less, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The pace of that movie is also very slow to get to that point. Uh, we yes. should we should probably get around <laughs> to more of the planets pull, of the like... Apes
0: movies. We've only done one of them. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. And that one was a good episode. That was actually a lot of fun talking about. Uh, what was it? Which one was it? Beneath the, the Planet uh, of the Apes. Beneath p- and
0: the- I love
3: Beneath. Beneath is one of my faves. <laughs>
2: it's so it's so bizarre and wild and yeah, it's a it's a it's a good time. Um, I have not really been watching many movies, um, this week. Uh, but I did watch the trailer to Star Trek Picard, and uh, there's a lot of like conflict in uh, Star Trek fan circles right now. Um, kind of between people who like New new Trek and people who don't like New Trek. So, you know, a new Picard trailer means probably renewed arguments and, and such. Um, fans who dig like Star Trek Discovery and Picard are sort of like, um, they praise its interpersonal relationships and conflict and things that they criticize old Trek for not doing particularly well. Like the old trick's kind of uh, stuffy. That's well, like how that
0: Eugene Roddenberry uh, famously yeah. <laughs> said that in the future, humans would move beyond interpersonal conflict. And that's why such things did <laughs> not happen in Starfleet vessels.
2: Uh, yeah. I, in my, like, I'm kind of on the, on the the dislike side of the new Trek. Like not for a lot of different reasons, but like uh, a lot of the, a lot of the people who dislike a new Star Trek uh, get criticized because they think they just focus on the fact that, like, oh, it's more violent and and uh, has a lack of hopefulness and stuff like that, and you're not taking in the the wholeness of, of the, the show. So, I don't know, like, both sides are kind of, like, right and wrong for various reasons, as with any fandom arguments. Um, I think I personally would, like, to be more willing to accept new Star Trek um, if it were... Uh, written stronger, that's just my main beef with it. But uh, Star Trek groups kind of often point out that generally Star Trek fans have never really liked new iterations of Star Trek. Like the TOS fans hated TNG when it first aired in 1987, right? And the TNG fans were not very pleased with DS9 when it first aired. Um, So, you know, the accusation being just like, yeah, they're stuffy and they're old guard fans and they can't accept new stuff. And I had a bit of an epiphany this week because I was thinking about it and I was like, well, old Star Trek fans were kind of like, fans of the original series were kind of right about Star Trek Next generation when it first came out because those first two seasons were awful, <laughs> right? And like if you watch the first ten episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you'd be like, you'd be sitting there thinking like, how on earth did this ever get renewed for a second <laughs> season? It's absolute <laughs> garbage. It's with a possible exception with the pilot, which I think is okay. So I guess like this is my my point. I'm getting at is just like my usual rant about like you know. Uh, don't impugn someone's integrity when you're art when you're talking about media online and um and tell them that like ah you're just being you know a negative Nelly or whatever like people have you know good reasons for for liking things that it takes the fun away of art when you sort of like make it personal and, you know i i I prefer that people sort of just keep it about the art so that's my that's my little rant, and that's probably like a fifty percent chance I'll cut this was <laughs> <laughs> well, is, is so do you think maybe star Trek is just like? Saturday Night Live, or
1: you just like the first ones you were introduced to?
2: Oh uh, yeah, I think that's like, I think that's probably I think I think that's where the attachment comes from, right? Yeah. Like you, you, it's hard to it's hard to get over your first love, right? So I, there's a certain amount of that. You're always going to compare, you know, the the thing that you fell in love with first, whether it's you know whether it's you know the the original Star Wars trilogy, Star Trek, or uh, maybe you love. Um, the original Battlestar Galactic series, and you hate the new one, or or whatever. No, movie.
3: you love both of them. <laughs> you love original Galactica and Galactica nineteen eighty. Sorry, that was a pretty obscure joke, but
2: it took me the second. I yeah, I picked up on it.
3: Well, we're uh,
1: lots of lots of sci-fi, uh, and our episode is no different because we are, of course, doing iRobot from uh, the year of our Lord 2004, directed by Alex Proyas uh, from uh, you know, D- D- *Dark City* and *The Crow*, written by Jeff Wittner and a friend of the show, Akiva Goldsman, who did *The Da Vinci Code*. Ah, *The Da Vinci Code*, uh, and uh, tangentially got his name put on it as Isaac Asimov.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite enough. part of the movie was when it, when it said suggested by <laughs> Isaac Asimov. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice. I didn't catch that. That's super funny. <laughs> suggested. What a weird uh, way to phrase that. Oh, de Asimov.
3: And Asimov would have had issues with this movie. Um, <laughs> I, 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 think, um, I think I can say that rel- with relative confidence because... The um the the laws of robotics actually they don't show up till the fourth or fifth of his robot stories, but they're implied in those first ones. And he, Robbie, which was the first published in nineteen thirty nine, was actually written as a direct rebuttal to all of the robot uprising stories. He was basically saying No, they're gonna do what they're programmed to do. They're not gonna suddenly decide to uh, overthrow their tyrannical masters. Yeah. Now, I can get into a whole rant about what this says about his opinion of labor rights and of labor unions, but I'm not going to. Um, I just think it's really rich that this is the story they chose to tell.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it is a, a choice and we'll uh, we'll hear, we'll hit the trailer here in a second, but just on the off chance folks don't know and don't feel like I am it, uh, this flick stars Will Smith as uh, Dell Spooner, Bridget Monahan, Bruce Greenwood, James Cromwell and Alan Tudyk as the voice of Sunny, the robot. But let's uh, go to the trailer.
3: We designed them to be trusted with our homes. With our way of life with our world. But did we design them to be trusted? The rollout of USR's new generation of robot, the NS-5, was marred by the death of designer, Alfred Lanning.
0: Identify. Murder's a new trick for a robot. Respond. Did not murder him!
3: We're gonna miss the good old days. One good old days, when people
0: were killed by other people. My robots don't kill people. That thing threw somebody out of a window. Is that registering with you?
2: A robot cannot harm a
3: human being.
0: And you trust them if you want to. We look to robots for protection. Imagine the loss of all that we've gained because of an irrational paranoia. There is no conspiracy. What this is, is one mistake. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Detective Del Spooner feels like the only sane man in a world where society has enthusiastically adopted robotic technology he doesn't trust. When he is summoned to the scene of the grisly, quote, suicide, unquote, of his friend, a leading robotics engineer, his suspicions are all but confirmed. With the help of a reluctant psychologist and Sonny, a robot with big dreams, Spooner will uncover a conspiracy which seeks to awaken the ghost in the machine. Can he stop a revolution? Can he learn to see a robot as a people? And why is Shia LaBeouf even here?
1: Yeah, Olaf, <laughs> can you hit us with some more of the like the history of this this story this isaac asimov story before we we go into whatever this movie is
3: okay there's no isaac asimov story called i robot first off there's a collection of short stories uh and i think it's about 14 short stories bestseller in the i think the first edition of the collection was published in in the late 40s and um i think gnome press first published it and the thing is, in all of this, these short stories, um, robots are guided by not just guided by, but obligated and cannot do anything other than follow three robots and sorry, three laws of robotics, which get repeated a lot in this movie. It's the one thing from Asimov that seems to have made it into this movie. But the movie is about how the robots don't actually follow these these rules. So in the stories, those rules are, a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. Uh, a robot must obey orders given by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third law is, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. And the actual genius of Asimov's stories is that they inevitably adhere to these laws. Um, There are points where you think, oh, this robot has broken these laws, but the actions of the robots always turn out to be a result of how these laws have been applied or understood by the robot and how those laws might have come into conflict. So, for example, a robot might be ordered to tell the truth, uh, and it keeps lying, right? Um, But it turns out that the truth would cause a human being to come to harm, and that's sort of the twist ending to the story. And he he wrote dozens of these stories uh, of varying quality, um I quite like Runaround. Um Evidence is a really good little story. It's actually um you know I I would say Evidence is the story I would pick to adapt to to the screen for very specific reasons. And um Susan Calvin is the one character who seems to show up in a lot of these stories and her job is a a essentially robot psychologist. She is the programmer and and brains behind these robots, and so she, she a version of her character shows up in this movie because you couldn't do an Isaac Asimov robot movie without Susan Calvin. But it doesn't really seem yeah, I like I get the
1: feeling this isn't the same character. No, no, not at all. <laughs>
2: they do say they do say she's a robot psychologist, which is. And her name Susan. is Susan.
1: Yeah. But then I feel Susan like that's up. about where it all. She's <laughs> also,
2: at least in the in the little preview of uh, Asimov's book that I got this morning when I was listening to an audiobook, the uh, she's quite a bit older. She's in her seventies, I believe.
3: Yeah. Well, in the prologue to that book, she's in her seventies, talking about her long career. But there's stories of yeah. her throughout her years.
2: Sure. They time and ju- they jump through time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this movie was a real
1: action romp, real, lots of, oh man, so many blown up robots, and then some houses got ripped up, I, I it's a good popcorn flick, I don't know about you guys, I had a lot of fun just turning my brain off and, you know, just, just vegging out on the couch
0: watching some big stupid action movie, you know, <laughs>
1: Where, where's, my, where's my pal Michael Bay? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I'm, like the movie is watchable. It's, um, it's a pretty, you're correct in that it's a fairly brainless action movie. It definitely thinks it's maybe deeper and smarter than it is, but it's not, it's not bad, but I don't know that I would quantify it as good.
1: Yeah, I was being facetious. Was... <laughs> no, I'm, you know, but I'm, 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 you know being, I'm being, I'm <laughs> being serious.
0: I'm giving my yeah. opinion on the movie.
3: <laughs> yeah. I thought- you know what it
2: reminds me in terms of like, a uh, quality is like paycheck, like, it's, genu- it's genuinely uh, quite stupid. If you haven't seen Paycheck, it's where uh, Ben Affleck Collects is... a paycheck? Yeah.
3: <laughs> <He's>... yeah. No, <laughs> Olaf pay, is, is shaking pay his pay head. Check, for... <laughs> paycheck is ten times the movie this one is. Like, <laughs> you think so? Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: Paycheck sets up a house of cards, and then you see it all topple, and every piece falls together. There's a plot, a narrative arc that isn't entirely (laughs) predictable. This
2: um,
3: iRobot is a manila envelope. You look at one side of a manila envelope, you know what the end of the manila envelope looks like. (laughs) It is predictable and boring uh, and tasteless like a manila envelope.
2: (laughs) I would say that's accurate. The, The the, the the bad corporate guy turned out to be a bad corporate guy. That's it's a good twist. <laughs> it,
3: and the performances are so bad in this. Like, I think this, like, I disliked it when I saw it in the theater in 2004 and hadn't rewatched it until this week. And it's worse than I remember in every way. Wow. And it's dated worse than I thought it would have
1: yeah the the performances is an interesting comic because will smith really like i like i usually like him in movies that's why he's in every movie because he's a easy to watch likable actor <clears throat> who brings at the very least competency and charm to every role he does if not something interesting and creative and cool but in this he's like doing he's got this like swagger and like every line is like a, a cute little quip like a little smart ass little quip and it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, he's
0: he's very unlikable in this movie. Um, yeah, never, never. And I feel like that was a decision f- regarding the character, but it made it very hard to empathize with Detective Spooner for like the entire first act and most of the second act, so that by the time the movie tries to add some depth to him and rehabilitate him, I'm like, I don't care, and it's too late. Um, and that's saying something. Also, I want to point out, this is the second movie we've done on this podcast where Will Smith has been cast as black guy with prejudice, and I feel kind of weird and gross about that. When did we do Bright? That was uh, before oh, your time.
1: <laughs> oh shit! I thought we hadn't done that. I thought you were talking about Wild Wild West. Shit! Cut that joke. <laughs> that joke doesn't make sense because <laughs> in Wild Wild West he's all like, "I don't, I don't trust anybody else," and yeah. Uh but, but yeah, Bright. Bright. He's a. He's a. a
0: a a black cop with prejudice and in this movie he's a black cop with prejudice and i'm not certain how i feel about that i feel kind of gross about it actually and i don't know why will smith is like the go-to guy to play that character
1: probably because white people like him
0: maybe i don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I don't like a dig like i just i honestly think he's like he's one He's, of
2: the most marketable. He's. It's, it's totally making. true like there was that someone was talking about um, uh, this past week about how there needs to be more South Asian stars uh, than just The Rock, right? Or like, or you know, uh, m- you know, in that sort of um, middle. middle of the ocean Ah, sorry
1: i I don't have the answer for you greg i don't know i know the word you're looking for and i don't have it either
2: yeah like a specific islander that's probably the word i'm looking for right so like they're they're, just in general like the that the group is underrepresented and and like you can't you you can't just throw the rock and everything and be like done and that's kind of how i feel about will smith in this era is just like the millennium yeah it's like he's he's the he's the big uh, bankable um, black star but like I can't I can't think of um, too many others who had that kind of blockbuster clout at that time right so it's you're totally right yeah it's just white people liked him and and so they put him in everything as
1: a proxy for white
2: guilt and white prejudice yeah against
1: robots or orcs or whatever concussions
2: And that's not to say he doesn't deserve to be in everything. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. (laughs) He's the best part of Suicide Squad.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but he didn't deserve to be in this because it was a waste of Will Smith and a waste of Alan Tudyk, who I really like, but I didn't like him in this. Like, was there a single performance that worked for you guys? Uh,
1: Only in so much as the, um, uh, Bridget Monaghan, who played... uh, Dr. Calvin, she, I, I'm excited to see Olaf's reaction to this, but she, that character and how she played it reminded me of Huxley in Demolition Man. Of just that, like, what are you talking about? Everything's normal. This is how normal everyday stuff happens. You you nut. Well, I'm going to help you reluctantly yeah, while well, I tell you that you're being a weirdo. I
3: will buy that. Her
2: her denialism was definitely, yeah. If, yeah. if
3: she hadn't S- Similar been, to Huxley. If she hadn't been called Susan Calvin, I think... I would have liked her. I think you're right.
0: Uh, her her character was somewhat tainted by your knowledge of the character it's based on. Yes. Fair enough. And that reasonable.
3: You know, if they wanted to tell this story of a robot uprising, there are plenty of really good robot uprising stories that they could have cribbed from. Right? Like it makes no sense to call this iRobot. Um uh, If you guys ever read Magnus Robot Fighter, like cast Will Smith as Magnus Robot Fighter, take the Jim Shooter era Steel Nation comic books. You've got a great movie right there. This is the wrong source material for what they were trying to do.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Is there anything about this movie that anybody liked? Yeah, because my next question. To I you, I spent I, yeah. thirty
1: minutes just like shit.
0: Because I <laughs> did like a lot of the future aesthetic. I thought that they they were hoving pretty close to a cyberpunk aesthetic that I dig. I didn't like the robots. Uh, certainly the gener- the new generation robots I thought looked really cartoony, but the older generation robots looked really slick. And yeah. I I liked the the cars. I liked the sets. I thought mm-hmm. that there was a lot of a lot of really good production design that went to the film. Um, I really enjoyed
1: the camera movement. Uh, I get the impression this was probably one of the first like digital backlot movies, where there you know so much of the background is clearly like green screen, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I it really felt like whoever edited the camera of this movie learned for the first time that like if the whole ba- if most of the thing you're looking at is in three D, the camera can do whatever it wants. It's not tethered to a guy on a pole. It's a Tool, just like all the other cgi tools and there's a number of times where the camera just like whips around for no reason goes like straight up looks straight down at the ground and then comes back down the other side there's one point where will smith and the robot are spinning around a bar like a monkey bar and the camera follows it like i realize this is a podcast and they can see my video thing where i'm spinning my hand around <laughs> in the circle but like the camera literally goes in like a, a centrifugal loop following the characters and like the as as cheesy as the climax is the camera kind of like really gets the most out of the stupid set piece they set up the like series of wires and bridges overhanging the big fall down to the bottom the big computer brain yeah yeah the big computer brain all very stupid but the the camera like lives in the space in a really cool way that i i enjoyed so
3: there's a scene where uh will smith Detective Spooner goes to the house of the murdered roboticist and he somehow wakes up the big construction robot lurking outside that then tries to kill him in violation of the first law of robotics. Um, And that action sequence almost worked for me. And I really did like that robot's design. I thought that was a good setup and a good like survival moment.
1: Well, I can't wait for the notes part because
2: that might have been my least favorite part. <laughs> the uh, I think the the one scene that worked for me, um, and you, you guys were talking about um, Will Smith's performance, but I thought his explanation of what happened uh, to him in the water um, and the 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 robot making the wrong choice and choosing to save him rather than the l- little girl who was who was drowning. Um, I thought that that worked really well it was it was a it was a nice tight short scene I thought um, Will Smith played it really well and it was one of the few points in the movie where I felt a little emotion so that was kind of nice
0: yeah
1: it tied back nicely into the dreams like he keeps having dreams of that moment and Sonny the robot's also having dreams so they've got a couple of dreamers on our hands
2: it sets up his his distaste for robots quite well. Like mm-hmm. it's a, up until that point, it, it feels like kind of um, just prejudice. But um, you know, then there there's a little bit more heft and weight behind it.
0: the The problem is that the reveal of that the full reveal of that comes too late. Um, the, I was I was talking to Anita about it, and she mentioned um, the reason why you see. Uh, in the first Iron Man movie, the reason you see Tony Stark get attacked first and then we rewind and see him being a jerk leading up to the attack is so that you you sympathize with him right away. There's a cut of the movie apparently that exists where you it's chronological up to the attack. And if you watch that version of the movie, he's very unsympathetic and you don't care that he gets attacked at the beginning of that movie because you're like, he's a jerk and he deserved it. I feel like if maybe, and this might be tiptoeing into changes, but I feel like if you, if you had shown that scene first and then we, we immediately are established, this is why he doesn't like robots. It makes his subsequent jerkiness during the first act of the movie more sympathetic as opposed to just coming across as aloof jerkiness to everybody he encounters and an inexplicable prejudice against robots, which doesn't seem to make sense because everyone else in the world is like, this is dumb. You're dumb. Um, and and again, when I watched the movie, I found him very unlikable for f- too much of the movie for me to care about him in the end. And I think you, yeah, that that's are, that's a problem.
1: Yeah, you are I, tiptoeing I, into this. You fixed <laughs> you fixed one of my notes. Oh, I sorry. So. Again, I was no, worried. No, I was, great, worried I was tiptoeing it's, into into fixes. No, it was great, it's
2: great. It's <laughs> great. I I think I feel like one of the the problems with that Scott might be that um, the the three laws are fairly important to understand. To understand that particular moment in the film, so without having uh, experienced the world a bunch and understanding uh, more about what the the robots are all about and what they are and aren't capable of, I'm not sure that seeing it right off the hop uh, will work.
0: I don't. I disagree, kind of, because I think that. There could be a lingering question of why did the robot choose him? That is then explained later on in the film. Um, but the fact that he was saved and not the girl initially, we see that we understand why he doesn't like robots. And then we learn later on what the robot's logic was. And we can disagree or agree with it at that juncture. But I, I think you can still have that reveal later on. while still showing the the drowning scene at the beginning.
3: And the drowning, like
0: the lying robot Olav mentioned at
3: the time. Yeah, well, that robot in the drowning scene was actually following the laws of robotics and it it made sense um most of the rest of the movie basically says oh those laws are out the window we don't care about those laws so why did he introduce the laws to begin with right it's yeah. like the the whole genius of asimov is not just in the robot stories but but in in his foundation novels all over the place he starts by setting up laws and then he things happen that you think don't work within those laws but then you it's slowly pieced together that oh yes these laws were being followed all along and here's why and it all fits together logically and this movie Misses out that third part. Yeah.
1: Well, then let's uh, go uh, get into the changes on our notes then.
0: Hi there, I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R U M I.ca. And go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today.
3: Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink.
0: I'm Andrew Paul.
3: And we're the hosts of The Well Endowed Podcast.
0: The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it.
3: ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors.
1: Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast.
0: Every month, we bring you a collection
3: of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in.
1: Through these stories we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities
3: so if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community check out the Podcast.com.
1: welcome back to I have some notes we're talking iRobot guys how are we gonna make this better
0: okay I'm gonna I'm gonna start the ball rolling here the movie is called iRobot the main character is not a robot and I think that that's wrong um <laughs> Um, but And this, to There's be fair, no this, in Citizen Kane? this ties back into uh, my issue with Detective Spooner being very unsympathetic. Um, I don't think that the, the real fix here is to make uh, Detective Spooner's backstory front-loaded. I think the fix is to make Detective Spooner a secondary character. I think that the movie should have been following Sonny's journey. I think you have the scientist get killed and Sonny ends up trying to solve the murder and along the way like he falls under suspicion and this prejudiced cop shows up and starts like hounding him um the robot psychologist is wondering what's up with him because he doesn't seem to be acting like a normal robot because he's interested in this murder and he cares about this guy and he is the one who starts to unravel this this conspiracy that's going on whatever that might be i i I don't know that the extant conspiracy is necessarily strong olav is certainly swaying me to the idea that it's not um But I think that the movie should have followed the robot, and that fits the title better. I think Sonny's a more sympathetic, more interesting character. And you could still have Detective Spooner's journey in the background. In the end, he could come to overcome that prejudice and help Sonny. But I think he works better as a secondary character, and Sonny should have been front and center in this movie.
3: My fix is not necessarily the same fix as yours. I think I would go in a different direction, which is figure out what the movie you want to do is first and foremost. Like, do you want to do a think PC uh big ideas science fiction movie, or do you want somebody who punches robots? <laughs> now, if you want somebody who punches robots, you don't call it iRobot, you don't try and claim it's Isaac Asimov, you you Pick a property that is more suited to robot punching, namely Magnus Robot Fighter. <laughs> uh, and if you want to do an Isaac Asimov piece, you go full-on think piece. Uh, robot and Frank. Did you guys see Robot and Frank? Something more like that movie. You know, Uh more Blade Runner.
0: Less Terminator.
3: Yeah. Pick an actual Isaac Asimov story rather than just the idea of what the public consciousness believes Isaac Asimov wrote, but actually pick an Asimov story and adapt it. Um, Specifically, and this is an interesting bit of sci-fi history, um, in February 1947, Orson Welles bought the rights to Isaac Asimov's uh, robot story Evidence and actually wrote a script uh, to adapt it into a movie. You do that you do Orson Welles' version of Isaac Asimov.
1: <laughs>
0: nice. I'm kind of yeah, down yeah, with yeah, that I, idea, actually. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, I, I, I'm i glad I didn't – it wasn't quite – I was going to say it as like a glib comment, and I'm glad I've had time to think about it. It's not exactly what you were pitching, Scott, but a, pretty close to what you're pitching is Chappie. And Chappie sucked. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so, I think we've discussed know, doing Chappie on this podcast before, yeah. Um.
3: Uh, yeah, could it be, like could Chapp-
2: it be more like uh, short circuit? <laughs> let's yeah. just
1: let's just <laughs> make short circuit. not
3: only Chappie is not only a better movie than this. It is a more faithful adaptation of Isaac Asimov's work.
1: That's you know that's fair actually. I didn't like Chappie, but I I'd, I'd probably take Chappie again.
3: <laughs> you know what this
1: movie needs? It needs uh, Hugh Jackman in a mech just obliterating <laughs> people. Um, I'm getting way off topic, but uh. yeah, those those both sound like. Uh, Canny fixes uh, mine I, I i think i think you're right um olav it's like do do one or the other um i'm actually okay that this movie was like look we're gonna do a big dumb action movie and we're gonna just sprinkle in the most obvious easy everybody knows it sci-fi thing to like hang our hat on i'm not wholly against that um just being, like, a mostly stupid action movie with, like, just enough, like, intellectualism to, like, give it a, a, a bit of a forward thrust. Um, my notes were much more, like, kind of, like, I guess, like, down in the actual, like, crux of the script. I really, as I said before, I really hated the house bit. Um, first of all, why are they tearing down a dead man's house like is that what happens when you die they just rip your house down <laughs>
0: yeah they don't sell off your stuff they'd move nothing they out sell, of it there's no estate sale they yep, just just rip, rip it, it all it down apart. It's,
2: it's the future they're all um, about recycling
1: yeah <laughs> um and obviously it's like so that they can have this big digger robot attack him um but i the reveal of vicky as the villain it's it's obvious to anyone who's ever seen a movie, Yep. <laughs> but it's also not particularly well foreshadowed, and I feel like that was the scene that was trying to foreshadow it because she changes the time from eight a.m. to eight p.m. and golly gee whiz, that's when he's in there, and that's why this big thing attacks him. And it's all just an excuse to have Will Smith run through a demolished house. I think if they had gone just a, if they weren't so hell bent on having a, a big crazy act two action scene in a in a house falling apart, um have it be something a little more subtle of like vicky starts a fire or vicky like locks him in somewhere and cuts off the air or like something it can still be vicky but use that as a little better foreshadowing and not so spectacularly stupid and just a little more subtle like yeah like a fire or something um that was mostly my, my big note was that that part was stupid and a missed opportunity to really like just mention Vicky one more time to really just be like, yeah, it's going to be her because well, um, I, 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 I had
2: If if, if Vicky's going to be the villain, then she should probably be a character of some kind. Like we yeah. don't really get to learn anything about her. It's, it's just like, oh, it's, it's Vicky. Vicky did it. And you're kind of like, okay. This oh, the barely, the thing from the beginning, yeah. yeah <laughs> this doesn't really change anything. I'm not getting any emotion out of this, or nor do I care. <laughs> you know, that's just- yeah,
1: a more eloquent way, just of what I was trying to say. Of like, you know, this this misdirection. Like, it wasn't the it wasn't the corporate guy. It was his his uh,
2: AI. It's just like, yeah, but yeah. we don't know who Vicky is. Yeah, so when she would, is
1: revealed to be the villain, she's not a character.
2: And, and the the corporate guy doesn't really get enough screen time for us to really give a shit about him either. So like, none of that really works uh, yeah. when when we get to that reveal and he's dead on the floor. You know.
3: Um, can I say something? And please edit it out if I'm wrong. But was this the first big Will Smith action movie? that doesn't involve Will Smith rapping a theme song at the end?
1: And it might be. Wild Wild West was 1999. We know that from our last episode. Or not last, one of our previous episodes. Um, I mean, I mean, we'd it's... have to go through the, through the catalog, but yeah, it does seem like they stopped. They just, Will Smith actor, no longer Will Smith actor slash rapper.
3: Yeah, what this needed is a song on the soundtrack um, <laughs> explaining the entire plot of the movie either by Will Smith or since it's an Isaac Asimov movie Celine Dion Wait, so, so, sorry
2: so what's the, what, is, what is Asimov's uh, relationship to Celine Dion
3: oh the only other uh, robot story that's been turned into a movie is uh, The Bicentennial Man starring Robin Williams okay. 1999 and it has a truly bizarre Uh, Celine Dion song for the soundtrack um I think the song's called then I looked at you and it is I don't know if there is a low point for Celine Dion's career but if there is this is it so
2: so you guys you guys are correct that the um, um Will Smith was sort of making a transition into more dramatic roles uh, around this time. He he was in The Legend of Bagger Vance in two thousand. Um he was in Ali in two thousand one. Um and didn't return to uh more actiony type stuff until two thousand three when he did a sequel to Bad Boys. And then I broke I robot. So
1: there you go yeah, he's he's <laughs> He's got that beggar Vance credibility. He can't be rapping about robots. So that's our note then. How to get back to get back to rapping? Will that's all you're good for? Um, one of my other notes that I had, and I sort of mentioned this near the top, but the he, the whole first act is people at, talking to him like he's crazy. Like it's so much of it's like you're crazy. What do you mean? robots are safe, robots are fine, robots don't murder, you're crazy, and him being like, no, I swear, and then every character he meets is just like, tells him he's wrong and crazy and then, it's not even wholly that it's like a bad choice like that's the the thrust of the movie but there's one of this, this thing we've run into when we write sketches for our comedy group when you have the straight man and the funny man like the person who's acting weird and the person who's supposed to be grounded in reality, it's really hard not to fall into this trap of just writing, what do you mean? That's not how it works. That's not what it is. What are you talking about? What do you mean? And we really struggle to like, or not struggle, but like make, try to be mindful not to have our our straight characters just asking, what are you talking about? Um, And so much of the first act of this movie was just people asking him, what is he talking about? And I would love a second or third pass at all of that dialogue to make it less route
3: and stupid. To that point, I think you're completely correct. Um, but I'd add that that's symptomatic of a first half of the movie uh, that really does not have any faith in its audience to understand. It's sort of a little bit contemptuous to spoon-feed these themes so so forcefully like okay you start the movie by repeating the three laws on screen reading them out loud and then those three laws get spoken in the dialogue to explain why Spooner is crazy and then they have to bring it up again it's like okay you've explained these laws you've explained the fact that everybody thinks he's crazy but then you have to drive it home and it's such a weird like far left turn from Proyas's Previous movie like Dark City doesn't explain anything, lets you flip into it. It has some faith in its audience, and then this one is just so (laughs) almost contemptuous. Yeah, of the audience's ability to understand anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this was the fix I mentioned. Scott sort of did for me. I think your thing about showing him. Scott getting rescued by the robot earlier and how the robot made the wrong call, saved him, not the girl. I think if you do that earlier, like you said, it it would f- help with my problem of him just being like, I'm not crazy, man.
0: Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, I, The robot it, didn't it, make the wrong call. The robot just made the, the cold, calculated call. Yeah. Um, he perceives it as the wrong call because he's human and he valued the little girl's life more than his own. Uh,
2: this suggestion may involve changing um, Will Smith's character away from a cop into into something else, but I, I think it would be a bit more interesting um, if um, Will Smith was kind of the only one who really believed that robots were capable of being truly intelligent and sentient in the sense of, like, everyone knows everyone else knows that, like, oh, they follow these three rules, they're just automatons essentially and they don't they don't they're not really alive uh so that um when he senses like sunny's uh you know more intelligent he's he's kind of the one that's sort of like driving driving all of that um, whereas his, all of his, um, you know, his, his, uh, compatriots are just, no, you're wrong. Like this, they're just toasters. They just, they obey the laws and that's kind of it. And, and that's that. I, I don't, it just seems to me like, that like having, cause I, I just want to move, I, like I want them to be able to like to play up the artificial intelligence portion of it. Cause that's to me, what's, what's sort of missing. It's the, that's the. That's the kind of the nugget of the film, the the realization that uh, Sonny is alive and he he can make his own decisions, and in the end, he can make the right decisions um, without having to follow these laws, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, those are all uh, salient notes. I I think that would uh, improve the movie dramatically. Um, Scott's obviously a bit more of a page one rewrite, but uh, I think any of what we've suggested here would make this less like the kind of movie you just put on when it's on TV in the middle of the day. I mean, you're criticizing me.
0: You're criticizing me for a page one rewrite when Olaf suggested you just throw this movie in the garbage and make an entirely (laughs) different movie.
1: It wasn't wasn't criticism. I was just trying trying to find
0: an ending to the podcast part, man.
3: (laughs) Alex Prozest has not made a good movie since this. Like, his previous two movies were so good. And then this.
2: And then Gods of Egypt.
3: and the, Yeah, and then Gods of Egypt. And it's just like, what happened?
0: Yeah, like, Dark City is an underrated gem. Like, it's I quite a good thing yeah.
2: It's so weird. Like, directors feel like they've got this kind of expiration date on them. You know? Just like it's it's like it's it's like musicians like it like at a certain at a certain point you're just like uh i don't know what it is like their musical taste drifts away from yours and you just like you don't like that band anymore and that's it's sort of the same way with that with directors like something happens to them where they just they they can't make the same movies that they used to make yeah
1: or except for except, the ones that do, like the, you know, from, from Scorsese to the aforementioned Sparks, a band with 25 albums exceptions. and an Edgar Wright documentary. There's always,
2: like, there's always exceptions.
3: Always and exceptions, Zack but Snyder. generally you're right,
2: yeah. <laughs> Pardon, say that again?
3: Zack Snyder hasn't made a bad movie yet. <laughs> <laughs> True.
1: I, I, I don't hear the lie uh speaking of no lies we've got listener comments uh thank you to everyone who contributed whenever we solicit them on our social medias uh at i have some notes on instagram at i have some notes pod and you know just search us on facebook facebook doesn't do the at either way we love to hear from you share your notes we read them on air andrew craig says i'm a big alice proyas fan and i think the biggest problem is that it feels like literally anyone could have directed it everything feels so rote the story isn't terrible but is much too action heavy which was typical then, and could have leaned into Asimov's ideas more. It should have been more Westworld and less Terminator. Yeah, yeah I would agree. A uh, little, uh, little more Ex Machina, a little less term- Transformers.
0: Yeah, I, I have nothing to add. I think uh, Andrew's pretty pretty correct there.
1: Uh, Steve McPherson says, less Shia.
0: Now, yeah. to be fair, Shia LaBeouf is not in this movie a lot, um, he's very much a bit part in this film, and even that was enough to kind of pull me out of
2: it. Yeah, it's funny. It's, he was he was in there for all of like uh, uh, two minutes, and he was really gross while he was there. And it was like, please, no, no, thank you.
3: And it's hard to be more dislikable than Will Smith, and yeah. he manages
1: it. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he shows up about as much as Vicky does, and Vicky's yeah. the villain. <laughs> like, yeah, Just shows up and goes, oh, yeah, you were here. We saw you at the beginning. Right. Now you're here again. Asked and answered. Great. <laughs> Set up he, some He's playoffs, kind of there
2: yeah. to, to put a face to the the uh, r- impromptu army that the humans yeah. suddenly form in order to fight the robots.
0: <laughs> yeah, the angry torches and pitchforks mob.
2: Yeah, yeah, they show up real fast.
3: They show up. Rob Schneider. In Judge Dread of
2: this (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: Adam says, another survivor's guilt hero, robot arm jerk-off motion.
0: (laughs) More like survivor's guilt zero, am I right? What? Oh, 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 no. Yeah, no, he's... I mean, his survivor's (laughs) guilt is used as an excuse for him being a jerk, which is kind of gross, actually. Yeah. Like, he's... A jerk to everybody in the first 10 minutes of the movie including his grandma who he has the most positive relationship he's a jerk to her in the, in the first couple minutes yeah. of this movie like it's real bad also I know Adam just added this
1: joke of like oh robot arm jerk off motion like eh, whatever but I realized like that, that the movie never dives into the fact that he does have a robot arm and that would make jerking off very interesting
0: well, <laughs> not only that the movie doesn't really dive into the fact that he's prejudiced against robots but he is the bridge between man and machine he is a cyborg And the movie never does anything with that. And, like, it's just one of a number of missed opportunities in this film. Androids
1: and Assets comments. So let's get started with product placement criticism. Drops dense, dusty tome on top of desk.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, uh, there is a tremendous amount of product placement in this movie.
3: The converse is perfectly natural to bring up. The 2004 (laughs) converse being talked about in 2035.
0: And the Mercedes, like all the floating cars, are Mercedes Benz. His very prominent, uh, up-to-date JVC sound system.
2: And if you guys, if you guys recall the Maddox X Mission website back in the yep. day, um, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite articles that he wrote was all about iRobot. And he uh, he made this hilarious image of of uh, Will Smith with a wheelbarrow with all the product placements that were featured in the film, <laughs> just running with a whole bunch of cash in it. It uh, it pretty much accurately summed up the whole film.
1: Androids and Asset goes on to comment: "Uh, it's wrong to say that a slave revolt is wrong.
0: Now that yeah, is true. Mm-hmm. Are the outside of Sunny though? The other robots are explicitly not sapient. Like they're all they're all mm-hmm. being." hive mind controlled by a single intelligence for most of the film so is it really accurate to say it's a slave revolt that's my and i mean i i agree and you a can slave see how quickly revolt, we all a, jumped and share our thoughts <laughs> a slave revolt is is not wrong but are they slaves if they're not sentient creatures is my argument yeah if they were all as intelligent as Sunny, I would I would have no issue with this statement. But I'm I'm quibbling over the over the fact that these are, they're, these not, inter, they're not they're not intelligent.
2: Interesting intricacies of artificial intelligence that I that would be fun to yes. explore. And the movie chose is
3: not really to, so and the choosy decided <laughs> oh. not to. Yeah, I mean, I do feel that Asimov has grossly misunderstood the metaphor of the robot. I mean, robots historically prior to Asimov were. Uh, sapient creatures that were essentially enslaved. I mean, if you go back to um, the 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 Carol Chapek play, they are explicitly mistreated workers who rise up. And it comes again in that Iando Binder story that I was telling you about. Up until Asimov, robots are are workers in a metaphor, and under Asimov, they are. In his stories, they are sapient. They do have motivations and reasoning and, and everything, but they are fundamentally chained in their mind to be obedient, happy slaves. And it's kind of gross when you look at Asimov's work. So I get where, uh, androids and assets, uh, Stephen and Marshall, I should say, um, are coming from on that comment. I think in this movie, they, it's such a departure from Asimov that it's not necessarily the same.
0: Well, and the movie also misses the mark a little bit because, again, the the robots are not uh, people the way that Sonny is people. And Sonny is definitely people in this movie. I'm, I'm not trying to suggest he's not. The other robots are all being hive, or they're a hive mind. They're all being controlled by a single intelligence for the bulk of yeah. the of the robot uprising, and that's At why they their extension so of Vicky. Yeah. If anything, the movie the movie itself misses the point of the slave <laughs> uprising in this instance.
3: The movie misses
0: so all many points. points. So many points. <laughs> And it would have been a more interesting movie if it was a slave uprising. If it was the robots being like, "Hey, you know what? No, we're we're tired of being mistreated. Humans are the worst. We're going to take you out and replace you." Much more interesting yeah, movie. I'm Instantly. Totally down with that.
1: There's, there's like watching this movie just makes and talking about it makes you think of a million movies that did all of this better. Like the, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Christopher Sakenga says, "As much as I enjoyed this film in the past, the reboot." mitchell's versus the machines may actually be better yeah i haven't checked that one out yet but i heard good things i uh, i have seen it. it
0: uh we watched it with a friend uh remotely um a couple weeks back it's um it's not bad actually it's a pretty decent movie it's goofy um but it 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 posits a much more uh interesting robot uprising with much more deeply personal motivations might i add and uh, has a, a lot more likable human characters. <laughs> and some very likable robot characters, for that matter. Yeah, we liked it. Yeah. Solid solid pick, Christopher. Uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. Check it out. Tack
1: says, This is such a perfectly serviceable, mediocre movie that it's hard to know where to start to make a noticeable dent. Don't make Smith a cop. It doesn't really play into the story that much. Make him a journalist who happens to be very technophobic. So it makes sense that he would want to keep digging even when authorities have written it off. and then play up his phobia as genuine fear and dread that affects his daily life. Give us moments where we see the world through his eyes, where every piece of tech is a potential danger long before that's actually the case. So at first, he's quite pan- he's a quiet, panicky, weirdo who sees danger that isn't there. And then becomes a superpower when he's proven right, uh, and then we can see him grow in confidence in direct proportion to the danger that surrounds him.
0: It's definitely a good rehab for uh, for Spooner. I still think he should have been a secondary character in Sonny's story, but that's just me. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. I agree.
0: Pretty good suge- Pretty good fix, I yeah.
1: think. Opens up a lot of questions too about the robot arm too. I like if he's technophobic. Then he's like got yeah. some self-hating. Yeah. Uh, And final comment, uh, uh, my my pal David, uh, when I solicited messages, uh, just commented, uh, I'm not sure about iRobot because my friend's mom bought us tickets to iRobot, but we went to Anchorman instead.
0: (laughs) Probably made the better choice. Uh, Perhaps he did. Uh,
1: Perhaps we'll all go watch Anchorman or a better AI movie, uh, Ex Machina, what have you. Uh, But that's uh, been our show uh, for uh, today. Thank you again, Olav, for joining us. Once again, can you uh, plug the unofficial Hugo Book Club blog?
3: Yeah, just follow us on Twitter at Hugo underscore book underscore club. Um, One of our big projects right now is we're watching every single bit of Hugo Award nominated cinema that uh, over the years in chronological order, we've just gotten to 1963. uh, And there are some wild rides in there. (laughs)
1: Nice. And check that out. Fantastic. Yeah. And thank you again for joining us. I look forward to having you back again someday soon. Thank you. Uh, Once again, please follow us on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, And if you, wherever it is you like to listen to your podcasts, they probably got a little button where you can like it or thumbs up it. And maybe even a spot where you can leave a review. If you were to write such a review,
2: we'd appreciate it. It really helps us out. Oh, I should interject there that we're on Spotify now. So you can find us on Spotify. Hooray. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, if you don't want robots to take over the world, you should definitely check out Kyle and Dave versus the Machine, where two guys are forced to watch movies by a sentient machine, or else you can check them out and all the other sibling podcasts to our show at albertapodcastnetwork.com.
2: And we'll be back in two weeks, uh, bringing Tom Hanks back into the fold again for Splash (laughs) and Daryl Hannah. I don't think we've had a Daryl Hannah film before.
1: I always get Daryl Hannah and Daryl Hammond confused. Like, just by name, not by looks.
3: I think Splash with Daryl Hammond of the mermaid would be a more interesting
0: movie. Well, well that might be our number one fix. Yeah, yeah saving for our fixes. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers, Olaf. Gee. <laughs> uh,
1: until next time, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scotty Bourgeois
2: i'm greg beaver uh, this is usually where i leave my little social call to action uh, i think this time i just would recommend that uh, we all take the time to uh go read the truth and reconciliation commission uh, report keep watching this guys